The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians were sent to Jesus to entrap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care for no man, for you do not regard the position of men, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a coin and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. The Gospel of the Lord. So as we continue in the first reading through the uh, book of Tobit, what we see there is uh, something that is true for all of the prophets of God, which is that very often what happens is that slowly they are stripped of everything exterior, everything that is not God. And so not only do they suffer in terms of they lose human respect, they lose all of those things of general kind of charity and kindness that should be given towards a person, Uh, but also they end up suffering affliction in terms of the loss of possessions, also the loss of those whom they love, and they begin to suffer increasingly um, for God's sake in in the fact that, and precisely for the point that, they are prophets in terms of pointing towards Christ and what will happen to Him. And so what we see in Tobit as well is as his sufferings increase, he is pushed into this intimacy which will bring forth a very beautiful prayer of petition to God. And so that is the mystery of the prophets, which is as they are stripped of what appears to be everything, they are left with God who is their everything. And so that is their peace. And that is in terms of what they proclaim to us as well. And so it's the same for the Lord. He is completely indifferent to all other things besides his relationship with the Father and bringing souls into that relationship and salvation. So that's what he cares about. That is his mission, his mission of salvation. This mission to bring into intimacy that which he has with the Father. That's what he wants to give us. What he has by nature, he wants to share with us by his grace. And so we can see now in this season or in this time of Christ's public ministry uh, from the gospel today, is that the trials and the difficulties and the sufferings are only increasing for him. So he is receiving now repeatedly from the scribes, from the Pharisees, from the elders, all of these attacks. They come at him relentlessly. He suffers under their hands, and eventually it is through their influence that he will be crucified. And what you see now beginning in this particular scene of the gospel is these strange alliances that can form against Christ. So those who previously were at enmity with each other all of a sudden become friends because they both have a common hatred. 
And so this is the problem of unity, especially when it is called negative friendships, right? Negative friendships. It's when people bond over what they commonly hate instead of what they commonly love. A friendship that comes from God is a friendship that is based on goodness and love. It is a union that then is focused on the achieving of the good. The opposite of that is friendships which are called negative friendships. Friendships which simply bind over a common dislike or a common hatred. The problem with that is that if that ends up getting resolved, they need to find something else negative to bond over. And that's often what happens. And sometimes that can happen in broader and broader spectrums. It can, in a certain sense, grow. And you can have certain groups, even to large mobs, that are all simply bonded over what they commonly hate. It's not a good form of unity. And it can lead to a lot of destruction. What you have here is the Pharisees and the Herodians, those who are completely opposed to each other. The Pharisees in charge of temple worship, the worship of God, the establishment of God's rule over his people. The Herodians, those who support the petty King Herod and his kingdom, and they are completely devoted to him in the fact that they even take on his name in terms of their mission. Their mission is the establishment and the preservation of the kingdom of Herod. And they were both then sent to Jesus to entrap him in his talk. These two, who are normally opposed, now have this alliance. It's an alliance which will slowly extend right up into the Passion, an alliance that will include Herod, it will include Pilate, it will include all of the Roman authority, all of the temple authority. Everyone will simply bond in terms of their hatred for Christ. And they come to him, and they come to him in this very deceitful way. It's something that shows the spirit that animates them. Teacher, we know that you are true and care for no man. They use the truth and they speak truly about Christ, but they have no, they have no meaning to it. What they intend to do is something contrary to what their words proclaim. That is true hypocrisy. When there is a willful divorce between the thoughts of our heart and the words of our mouth, Willful hypocrisy. It's one of the things that the Lord detests most. And so they come to him speaking truth. We know that you are true and that you care for no man. For you have, not regard, you have no regard for the position of men, but truly teach the way of God. All of these things are true. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Obviously, for the Pharisees and for a lot of the Jewish people, this was a problem because to pay taxes to Caesar meant also funding all of the things that happen in Rome, which is things like the games, things like the worship of foreign gods, all of these things which are contrary to their own belief. And so they face the problem of remote connection to sin. What are we to do? And so they have a legitimate issue with paying taxes to Caesar, but it shows that they are not, again, confident in themselves or even righteous enough to proclaim that so they know it to be an issue, and they bring to Christ, asking of him an answer that they themselves will not give. And so then also for the Herodians, if the Lord says no, they are the ones who want the establishment of the kingdom of Herod, 
and they are the ones who are threatened most by this talk of Christ where he speaks about establishing his own kingdom. And so they think that by simplifying his words to a simple yes or no, they're going to be able to catch the Lord. (laughs) And the Lord has spoken to them previously in parables. And because he speaks in parables, even though they know what he means, they can't trap him. And so what they want to do now is get this simple yes or no answer from him. And you can see that they're trying to reduce, as often happens in our current culture, when you oversimplify things, it makes them sensational. We've lost in our current culture the ability for nuance, the capacity for nuance in conversation. Everyone wants yes or no answers to certain things that at times require nuance. And so what happens is with that oversimplification of things, things always become sensational. We see this in politics nowadays. But Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, they claim to know him, but he truly knows them. He truly knows them. Why do you put me to the test? Again, he uses that same word for testing that he used against the devil in the desert. And he shows that by this question, that they are operating under his influence, not Christ's influence. And then he says to them in what will be one of the most profound pieces of wisdom throughout scripture, bring me a coin and let me look at it. So they bring him this coin and he simply turns the question back on them. Whose likeness or whose image is this? And what inscription is this? Whose face and what are these words? And they say Caesar's. And he says, fine, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So that which bears the image and the words of Caesar, that belongs to Caesar. But that which, belo- which has the image and the word of God within it, that belongs to God. And so as one of the commentators says, we have a duty to render to God ourselves, ourselves. We are made in his image and likeness. And then through the imprint of his word upon us and within us, that is how that image and likeness is restored and returned to God. Something that was tarnished in original sin is brought back to its full light and beauty under the influence of Christ the word, under his grace, under his love. And so the way that we render to God ourselves is by going to the Father through the Son, And this is what we are called to in our life through the sacraments of the church, through the reception of his grace, but also as we come here to this worship, the central aspect of our life on earth. This is where we give ourselves completely to God through the Son by entering into the perfect worship that God offers to his, Christ offers to his heavenly Father. And through this act, we are raised up and rendered to the one whose image and likeness we bear within us. Amen.